Welcome to our podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Voss. Today, Jesus, in our gospel reading, gives us a promise that our sorrow will turn into joy. It's a joy that comes because of who he is and what he's done for us, a joy that he promises will never be taken away from us. Today's message is based on John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. Our message is entitled, Our Joy is a Product of Easter. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Sanctify us by the truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. We turn our thoughts to the word written in John, the 16th chapter, verses 16 through 22, where Jesus says to us, In a little while you are not going to see me anymore. And again, in a little while, you will see me, because I am going away to the Father. Therefore, some of his disciples asked one another, what does he mean when he tells us, in a little while you are not going to see me, and again, in a little while you will see me, and because I'm going away to the Father. So they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you trying to determine with one another what I meant by saying, In a little while you are not going to see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Amen, amen, I tell you. You will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. A woman giving birth has pain because her time has come. But when she has delivered the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of her joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. The words of Jesus. In his name, my dear friends. This joyful Eastertide, that's the hymn that we just sang prior to our sermon. That's a a hymn whose words were written down back in 1894 by an Anglican priest by the name of George Woodward. Made me wonder... I wonder if Pastor Woodward, had he been living here and now, serving as pastor these days, in these days after Easter of 2022, would he still have written down this joyful Easter tide with inflation soaring and the stock market plummeting? Young parents driving all over creation, trying to find some formula, using up gas that they can scarcely afford to buy. With the tension of a modern-day Cold War between us and Russia and China. With hatred that's running rampant, with mass shootings, increasing violence, shocking crimes. 
this joyful Eastertide? You know, the unbelieving world is always going to struggle to understand our Lord Jesus Christ. The, The world will never fully understand the perfect, selfless, forgiving love that Jesus exemplified and embodied and the kind of love that he commanded. The world will shake its collective head when the Lord Jesus calls on us, his church, to love those who hate us, to pray for our enemies, to repay evil with good. Yeah, good luck with that, the world would scoff. Nice guys finish last. And if the world struggles to understand the perfect love of Jesus, the kind of love that he embodied and commanded, the world will certainly misunderstand the kind of joy that Jesus promises to give us. Do we understand it? Tell you what, take a moment right now, and in your mind, I want you to just think of something in your life that brings you tremendous joy. Maybe you're thinking about someone in your family, one of your loved ones, how much joy you get just from being with them, spending time with them, or how how much joy you have when they do something wonderful and you're so proud of them. Maybe you're thinking about some spectacular vacation that you took and the joy that you felt uh, when you got away from it all. Maybe you're picturing yourself making the final payment on some massive loan that you have. Maybe you're picturing yourself being notified that you've just been awarded a great big promotion at work. Those are all happy moments in life. No wonder they brought you such great joy. But friend, that's just the thing. Conventional worldly thinking says that joy in life is directly tied to your circumstances at any given moment. And therefore, if things are not going particularly well for you at any given time, well, then you're just going to have to wait until your circumstances change, and then maybe you can get back to having some joy in life once again. Friends, I want you to know this morning that Jesus promises to give you a joy that is far better than that. The joy that he offers us is not a product of our circumstances in life. The joy that Jesus gives us is a joy that is a product of Easter. So as we think about his words here in John 16, let's ponder that truth for a moment, that our joy is a product of Easter. Now, if Jesus had intended to be a little cryptic with the statement that he made to his disciples, it seemed to have worked. The setting for our text this morning, like our setting for the text last Sunday, was Monday, Thursday night, the night before Jesus died. There in that upper room, Jesus had instituted and then shared the Lord's Supper with his beloved disciples. And after that, he went on teaching them, loving them, and baffling them. He said, in a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. And again, in a little while, you will see me because I'm going away to the Father. 
What exactly did Jesus mean by that? Or more pointedly, what in all the world are these two different little whiles that Jesus talks about in our text? Well, while it seems to remain somewhat of a riddle to this very day, most theologians are agreed that the first little while that he was referring to was starting at that particular moment and would lead up to the next day when they saw Jesus die on the cross, buried in the tomb. And then it would seem that the second little while he was referring to was the time from from when he was dead and buried until the time when the disciples saw him alive again, Easter evening, when he appeared risen from the dead. In a little while, the disciples wouldn't see Jesus anymore because his lifeless body was going to be placed inside that borrowed tomb and a stone rolled in front of it. And the result of that, the emotional impact of what was going to happen at that moment could not have been more sharp of a contrast. The disciples would weep and wail. But Jesus says the world will rejoice. In other words, his enemies, the enemies of the gospel, would pump a fist in the air figuring that they'd finally gotten rid of this nuisance from Nazareth named Jesus. But the disciples would find themselves smothered with grief, grief like they had never, ever known before. Because the day after Good Friday, when they woke up that Saturday morning, for all they knew, they were waking up to a now Christless world. They had lost their friend. They had lost their savior. They had lost their hope. They had lost everything. We get that, don't we? The weeping and the wailing and the sorrow. We we don't call this world a veil of tears for nothing, do we? When's the last time you needed to have a good cry and what was it about? We weep because of unexpected tragedies and diagnoses that we didn't see coming that hit us like a punch in the gut. We wail because of some unforeseen trauma that has come barging its way into our lives. We lack joy in life because it seems to us that never, nothing ever turns out the way that we'd planned, and it just seems like we live our lives waiting for the next disappointment to happen. We grieve over the guilt that we feel from mistakes that we've made and the sins that we've committed from the countless times that we have blown it, something awful. Our human instinct is to try to deal with the pain in any number of unhealthy ways. We try to mask it with things that God forbids. We fail to turn to the Lord only to find ourselves sinking deeper and deeper into despair. Or we become bitter with God, wondering how in all the world he could have let this happen to us. Or we get mad at the world and seethe with anger. And our sins... Our natural instinct would tell us that we've got to try to make up for the evil that we've done. We have to work really hard to right our wrongs, to make up for our mistakes, to be a better person. I've got to start working harder to get it right in life in the hope that then somehow, some way, I can be right with this holy God. 
none of those remedies work. Not one. They're all like an air freshener that simply masks the putrid stench of the sins that we've committed and the pain that sin causes in general. But they don't take it away. Only Jesus can do that. Because, see, Jesus wasn't just talking to that group of disciples so long ago. He was talking to you this morning, too, and he made you a promise. He said that your sorrow will turn into joy. The promise that your heart will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Now, at first blush, we might say, really, Jesus? You said that to your beloved disciples? Even though you knew that in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years that were coming, as those disciples became apostles and took the good news to the world, they'd pay for that dearly. They'd be persecuted and harassed and rejected every place they went. Even though you knew, Jesus, that most of them would be martyred because of their faith in you, no one will take away your joy. Exactly. Because you see, the joy that Jesus was talking about was not based on how things would go for his disciples at any given moment. The joy that Jesus was talking about was a product of Easter. It's the joy that comes from knowing that the Lord Jesus came into this world to suffer and die for all of those times in life when we have sinfully tried to find joy in all the wrong places. He died for all of our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life, rose from the dead, and in a little while, the disciples did see Jesus. They saw him alive and well and standing in their midst on Easter evening, and the Bible says that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And friends, so are we. Our trust is in a living Christ, a living Savior. Your joy in life doesn't come from how things are going. Your joy in life comes from knowing that Jesus is alive. Think, Easter means that sin, your sin, the very sin in your life that had separated you from a holy God, that sin has been removed from you, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that he has drowned your sin in the depths of the sea. Your sins were buried with Christ in that tomb, and in Christ Jesus, you died to sin. Easter means that the guilt that you've been dragging around with you has been replaced with a freedom that you have in Christ, who now lives in you. Easter means that with Jesus alive and living in your heart, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation in life. And because Jesus lives, you can face tomorrow. Easter means that even that last and greatest enemy called death is nothing but the gateway to an everlasting life of joy with Jesus in heaven. Because, friend, please understand, Easter wasn't just a victory that Jesus won and we get to sit back and watch and observe. Easter is your victory, too, through faith in Christ Jesus. And in a little while, thanks to what Jesus has done, we will live in a joy that no one will ever 
be able to take away from us for even a moment. All of our sorrows will be replaced with pure, unbridled joy when we arrive in heaven's welcome glory. Our joy in life is not a product of our circumstances. Our joy in life is not based on how things are going for us at any particular moment. Our joy is based on Easter. Clearly, Pastor Woodward believed that. As I said earlier, he wrote the words of that hymn that we sang this joyful Easter tide in 1894. From what I read, that was just one year after his wife died. This woman whom he loved, whom the Lord had given him to have and to hold, but a woman with whom he was able to enjoy married life for only four years. And then she was called home to heaven. And still he wrote, this joyful Easter tide, away with sin and sorrow. Clearly, he understood that our joy in life is not based on how things are going for us at any given moment, but our joy in life comes from knowing that Jesus is alive, risen from the dead. Interesting, isn't it, how Easter's different? Take the Christmas season, for instance. We start seeing Christmas items in the store, what, late September, early October, And it's weeks and weeks and weeks of gearing up for Christmas. Weeks and weeks of getting ready for the happiest season of all. And then Christmas Day comes, and just like that, everything snaps back to normal. We go back to our routine. The day after Christmas, stores are slashing the price on, on all their Christmas items, trying to get them out of the store. Not in the church. And not with Easter. We celebrated Easter more than a month ago now. And here we are, still reveling in Easter joy, living in Easter joy, and rightly so, because Jesus is alive, and that truth changes everything. Christian, your Christ has turned your sorrow into joy. Not through the power of positive thinking, not because there's nowhere to go but up from the dark place that you may happen to find yourself at any given moment, not because you're strong enough to handle anything that comes your way. Your sorrow will turn into joy because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and has sealed for you an eternal victory. Your sorrow will turn into joy because of what Jesus Christ lives to do in your heart and in your life today, tomorrow, and every day. Your sorrow will turn into joy because Jesus Christ lives to keep every single promise that he's ever made to you. Your sorrow will turn into joy, a joy that Jesus promises you no one will ever be able to take away from you. Brothers and sisters, think about that for the little while of your life here and now. And get ready to rejoice in that grand truth forever with Jesus in heaven. Amen.